Hey everyone, this is Mike Skinner. I want to welcome you to the sermon podcast for Sweetwater Christian Church. We are glad that you are interested in joining us as we follow Christ. If you'd ever like to support our ministry financially or just learn more about us, head on over to sweetwaterchristian.org. Thanks and God bless. Well, welcome everyone. Thanks for worshiping and uh, leading us in worship, Michelle and Chris. Uh, Psalm 23 is one of our favorite psalms in the Christian community, and for good reason. Uh, I imagine many of you probably have learned it as a kid, and you perhaps have it or portions of it memorized, maybe in different versions than the one we just heard. I'd be curious what other psalms you remember from childhood or stand out to you as important. Maybe let us know in the comments below what psalms uh, have been very meaningful for you throughout your life. Um, This is what is considered in the Christian calendar, the fourth Sunday of Easter. Again, the Easter celebration continues, and it's traditionally known as the Good Shepherd Sunday because of the text in which the Christian church chooses to study and read and worship with Psalm 23 being one of them. The one we'll look at this morning comes from John chapter 10, which is, in a sense, kind of the culmination of the beautiful words we find in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. And in John 10, we see Jesus pick up on that imagery and say that all of that has been pointing towards me and who I am and what I have come to do. And one of the things we'll see as we read the text is there is kind of a melody of repetition in this emphasis on this idea that God's sheep hear and recognize his voice. And I don't know if you have a child and, and as they were a baby, you learned, uh, for, you saw how they learned to recognize your voice and see it. Um, I, we've got dogs, we don't have babies. And uh, we, as we're doing this online church, um, my wife has not been in the studio with us and she's at home and, and she's watching the living room like many of you are. And she caught this clip of our littlest puppy, Springer or Beagle, uh, hearing my voice on the TV as I was up to preach. And so we've got a, a clip we'll show to you here. There he is. Daddy, why are you on the TV here? He's, uh, he's enjoyed, I think, being a uh, part of our, our online morning worship services. Uh, you know, the dogs are interesting because they're, they're really in tune with recognizing the, the voices of their owners. Uh, so much so that our dogs can differentiate between the, the sounds of an alarm, a car lock, between our cars and that of our neighbors. And so they don't react if our neighbors get home and close the door and lock their cars. But if my wife or I do, then the dogs go crazy because they know that they are home. Um, there is this perking up of the ears. You can see it in the body language. They hear and they recognize and they have this affection for the one whose voice they are hearing. And this is a sense that we'll see played out in the text as we read this morning. So John 10, let me invite you to turn with me. If you have a Bible, I'd invite you to open it up with me and read along. Uh, Open it up on your phone if you'd like on a Bible app or on a, a website. John 10, we'll be reading verses 1 through 18. It's a very beautiful and moving passage. At the same time, the images and metaphors can get a little messy. And so reading along, I think, will help you follow us this morning. John 10, we'll pick it up in verse 1. Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. 
And when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him, because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him, because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Now, we'll explain in a moment why Jesus is talking about what he is talking about. But as he taps into this shepherd-sheep imagery, he's tapping into a very common ancient metaphor, one that you and I might not be as familiar with. Uh, Certainly, I'm not very familiar with shepherding and sheep and and how all of that works. Um, But for centuries, shepherds have guided their flocks by their voices, their call or whistle, would allow them to direct and lead and guide their flocks. At times, shepherds would join flocks together at night and then in the morning to separate them out, they would simply call out or whistle or play a tune and the sheep would hear and recognize and follow them. And this seems to be what Jesus is referring to. Now, if those first five verses don't make complete sense to you right off the bat, you're not alone. In in verse six, Jesus used this figure of speech or parable, if you will, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. And so Jesus is going to clarify for us what he's really trying to get at here. Verse seven, therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate and whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. Just like we read in Psalm 23, the thief, Jesus says in verse 10, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Then in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now the hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he has a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I, though, verse 14, am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have Other sheep that are not of this sheep pen, I must bring them in also. They too will listen to my voice and they shall be one flock and one shepherd. And the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Now, Jesus uses two metaphors or images here. And at first glance, they kind of looked mixed. He says, I'm the gate. I'm the door. I'm the gate of the sheep pen. And anyone who enters in through me finds salvation, finds life. He says abundant life. But then he also says, I'm the shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. The one who protects his flock. The one who will lay down his life for the sheep. And we might wonder, which is it? Is it the door or the gate or is it the shepherd? There's, there's possibly a way that, that these images go together quite nicely. There are some accounts that what would happen in the ancient world and perhaps even today at certain places in the world where shepherding is still a, a very common thing to do and participate in is, is if you had this kind of temporary shelter at night for a flock or a uh, combination of flocks, 
you would kind of build up a wall or a circle with maybe rocks or whatever you could around it. And then at the opening, the shepherd himself would lay down, would lay his body at the opening so that any wolf that wanted to get in and get to the sheep would have to get through him. And any sheep that might have thoughts of wandering off and getting lost and hurt would have to step over him. Jesus, as he says, I am the gate. I am the one who allows the sheep to go in and out, to find this pasture, to find this life. I am the good shepherd. Perhaps both of these images and metaphors are pointing towards the same thing. Now, these are very comforting and beautiful words. They have been the inspiration for all kinds of Christian art since the very beginning of the church. Perhaps you've seen paintings or pictures of Jesus portrayed as a shepherd, perhaps with the sheep uh, around his shoulders. In the context, though, that we're reading in John 10, Jesus is giving this sermon, this discourse on shepherding and his identity as the shepherd in a polemical nature or context. That is an argumentative one. John 10 is a part of a, a larger story that begins in John chapter 9, where Jesus gets in some controversy, some trouble because of a act, an action, a healing. Jesus in John 9 heals a man who's been blind from birth, and he does it on the Sabbath. And this upsets the Pharisees, the Jewish religious leaders at the time, and it begins a controversy between them. And in our English Bibles, we put chapters and verses in place, but they weren't there originally. And, and this is one of those cases where perhaps having a new chapter and a new verse begin really separates us out and doesn't allow us to see how what Jesus is saying here really fits in well with the context. And all of the things Jesus says, the first five verses where he talks about thieves entering in one way versus shepherds entering in a more legitimate way. He talks about a gate versus those who come to steal and kill and destroy. When he talks about a good shepherd versus a hired hand who will give the flock over to any threat. You'll notice Jesus is making a contrast. Jesus at one point says, all who have come before me are thieves and robbers. Jesus, by identifying himself as the gate and as the shepherd, is actually making an accusation against the Pharisees and perhaps other political or religious leaders of the time or before him. Shepherd, this, this metaphor or image is a very common one in the ancient Israelite world for a king, for a Messiah. Jesus seems very likely to be alluding to a very famous passage in the book of Ezekiel where God promises to one day bring a shepherd, one shepherd, to gather all of his flock and to take care of his people. Ezekiel castigates the false and bad shepherds, those leaders of Israel who have brought them into death and into destruction and into harm's way. And later on in chapter 10, we'll see because of the things Jesus is saying, the Pharisees come out eventually and ask him, are you saying that you're the Messiah? Are you saying that you are the king? This is indeed exactly what Jesus is referencing when he talks about being the good shepherd. He says, all who have come before me, they've been thieves and robbers. And when he talks about the enemy, the, the one who comes to kill and steal and destroy the thief, we often think automatically that's the devil or Satan. But in context, there's, there's really been no mention of Satan or the devil. This is, again is, is one long extended discourse about a sign and a dialogue that's happened after Jesus heals this man, who, by the way, the Pharisees seemed like they were acting as bad shepherds toward 
as false shepherds, not interested in his best health and life. He was isolated, kicked out of the community. And so when Jesus says, I'm the gate and I am the shepherd, he's making a sharp argumentative claim. Even though these are words of comfort for you and I who find ourselves taking on the identity of the sheep of Jesus, his people, his disciples. In this context, in John 10, Jesus is going toe-to-toe. He's squaring off with the religious leaders of his day. It is the case, I think, that there were false shepherds back then and false shepherds today. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, the shepherd who brings life and life abundant. False shepherds, they tend to organize their followers around the energy of hate and the means of violence and domination. It's, it's also perhaps likely Jesus is referring to messianic figures who have come before him. The, the world of the ancient Israelites in the first century was not one without people who have come up, risen up, claiming to be the Messiah. There's example after example after example, many of which Jesus, his listeners, hearers, his original audience, and he himself would have been aware of. And yet they all kind of had one thing in common, which is they wanted revolution. They wanted to overthrow the Roman occupation. Jesus comes preaching a nonviolent way of living out and ushering in God's kingdom. The false shepherds, though the bad shepherds, they organize people around hate and fear, and they use means of domination and destruction and violence. And this is, I think, still the case today. Now, the sheep, Jesus says, they didn't listen to those false shepherds, and they don't listen to those false shepherds, but there are some who listen. We we may call them goats. There were goats back then, and, and there were goats now. Fear and anger and division have always been a diabolically effective way of organizing and gathering and mobilizing people. But the sheep of God have always held out for a better way. They've always recognized that that there is a a truer way, the way of peace and forgiveness and love and justice. And Jesus, as the good shepherd, says, this is the voice that my followers are listening to and are responding to. Not one that uses fear and division and hate, that operates through methods of domination and violence and destruction, but instead one that offers life. The voice of the good shepherd, the voice of the shepherd that leads us into pasture, is the voice of the one who gives us the Sermon on the Mount, who said, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who are hungry. It's the voice of the one who says, love your enemies, bless them when they curse you, pray for them, go the extra mile. It's the one who models in his very own life what self-giving and sacrificial love looks like. Jesus, as the good shepherd, shows us, illustrates for us what the life of God is like. There are some very powerful and interesting phrases happening in John 10. And I want to direct your attention to verses 14 and 15. Jesus, I'm the good shepherd. And then he describes this relationship between him and his sheep. And then he compares it to the relationship between his father and he. 
I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as he says, the father knows me and I know the father. Now we might ask ourselves, how does the father know Jesus, the son? Well, from all of eternity, they have existed in this loving, mutual relationship. In John's gospel, just John's gospel, we're told that the father shows and gives everything that he has to the son. We're told that the father loves the son and will glorify the son. We're told that all that the father is, is the son. So they are one in unity. This word know is not just an intellectual know. It's a, it's a relational, personal knowledge. And if you, if you pay close attention, what Jesus is promising is that the pasture that his sheep will find because of his good shepherding is none other than the pasture of God's own life. A kind of expanding circle of communion, if you will, where the triune God of all eternity in pure love and joy and self-giving towards one another now finds God's people adopted into their family. The sheep of Christ responding to his voice, following his direction and guidance, find in their union with him and their knowledge of Jesus access to the same relationship that Jesus has enjoyed for all of eternity with the Father. It's profound and it's beautiful and it's a promise perhaps that's difficult to even truly, really imagine. Jesus offers us here life and life abundant. And I think it is important for us to take stock and to ask ourselves about all the different places that we often try to seek life and seek abundant life. This is a, a deeply human and universal desire and hope that we might not just exist but thrive, not just survive but flourish that as a human being, we might find satisfaction and fulfillment and purpose. And if we were to sit down and take stock of all the different things we've attempted, the activities we've engaged in, the places and people we've looked for that life and satisfaction and flourishing, we might find that many of them fail and disappoint. And perhaps the pain of these disappointments gets worse each time we run after them and they come up short for us. Jesus, though, as the good shepherd, as the gate of the sheep, he says, those who hear my voice and listen to me and follow me, they will find this life, this eternal life, this thriving life, this life of flourishing. And it's found in hearing and responding to the voice of the one who calls out to his sheep. But just like in the first century, false shepherds abound. And like hired men, they often don't have the best interests of the flock at hand. Or like thieves and robbers, they go about their way of managing and organizing the flock in a different way than the way of Christ is. We need to, I think, keep the Good Shepherd sermon in John 10 connected to the John 9 story for lots of important reasons. One is because John 9, the story of the man who was born blind being healed, serves as an example for all of the roles and illustrations that Jesus gives us in the various images and metaphors in John 10. 
The, the man born blind who is healed is the one who has heard the voice of Christ and responds faithfully and finds the pasture that Jesus has promised to give as the good shepherd. The Pharisees, as those who would isolate, as those who would condemn, as those who would separate out this man because of his deformity, his illness, his disability, are those who find themselves playing the role of the false shepherds, the thieves and the robbers, those who bring destruction and harm. We've got to be careful as well because it's often the case that those false shepherds who lead God's people in false ways sometimes do so under the pretense of what seems and sounds like very biblical truths. So for instance, in John 9, the contrary centers around the Sabbath day. And there are well-written laws in the Old Testament about what can and can't be done on the Sabbath. And Jesus brings this healing to this man and the Pharisees on biblical grounds oppose Christ and his works. Always be on the lookout for those who would attempt to use the Bible to do anything other than point us to Christ and the life that we find in Christ. Always be on the lookout and careful for those who would try to use the Bible, not to give life and healing, but instead to beat up on, to tear down, to exclude or demonize others. Make no mistakes about it. You can list off all the verses you want, but as Jesus says in John 5, if they don't point to Christ and to the life Christ has come to bring, if they don't result in a life that bears witness to the fruit of the Spirit, they're nothing more than a long litany of false shepherds that have come and led people astray. The man in John 9 also shows us that When we think about salvation, the abundant life, the pasture Jesus has come to lead us into, we should really think about it in contextualized ways. We often talk about salvation in kind of nondescript ways, very kind of bland and vanilla ways. Our sins are forgiven. We're freed from sin and death and decay. And all those things are true and great. And and I, I affirm them 100%. But we often need to ask the question, what is salvation for an individual or for a community? What what does the pasture look like for the man in John 9? Well, it looks like receiving sight. It looks like no longer living in a world of darkness, wondering where his next meal will come from, being excluded from the community of God's people. So it is, I think, for you and I, the abundant life that Christ as the Good Shepherd is calling us to embrace this morning, May 3rd, 2020, is not just a nondescript vanilla account of some sort of personal relationship with Jesus. Jesus says, I call the sheep by name and they respond and I call them out into the pasture. And we might ask this question, What is Jesus calling you out of? What is Jesus calling me out of? Some of us struggle with different things. Some of us are enslaved to different things. Our pasture might look a little bit different from the person next to us. Maybe we are enslaved to anger and hatred Maybe we are enslaved to addiction or desire. 
maybe it's it's things that maybe don't even present themselves really quite as sin per se. Pain in our life, disappointment, past trauma. Jesus is the good shepherd says, I'm calling you out of those things. I'm calling you out of what has taken away and torn down the life that God desires for you. And I'm calling you into the kingdom of God, which I'm inaugurating through my death and resurrection. Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life. He illustrates for us the very nature of the triune God. And in in this passage in John 10, Jesus says, this is the reason the father loves me because I give my life for the the, the sheep. And I don't think he's intending to say that God the father wouldn't love him otherwise. It's, it's that Jesus in obeying this command that undergirds his self-sacrifice is illustrating God's love and plan for his world. It's at the command and desire of God the father out of love and for the salvation of the world that the son comes. The father's love for the son is shown most clearly and brightly and through his sacrificial death on the part of his sheep. And John's gospel is full of these beautiful moments where Jesus encounters individual human beings and he calls their name and they hear and they recognize. And I really do believe that the good shepherd continues to call out the names of his people, even now, even this morning. Perhaps you're hearing him call your name. Perhaps you're hearing his voice. Perhaps somewhere in your heart or in your soul, there's this echo, there's this longing for freedom and peace and justice and joy, for life and life abundant. Perhaps like Mary in the garden after Jesus' resurrection, you, you hear Jesus say your name and you recognize him like, like my little beagle puppy who just loves me so dearly that the, the moment he hears my voice, he, he, he just is, where's, where's my dad? What's he bringing me? What, what are we going to do together? It's, it's going to be good. I trust him. Perhaps that is what continues to happen even this morning, even now, even in worship. The good shepherd calls out the name of his sheep. He calls them into a mutual relationship of knowledge and love into this eternal stream and dance of love that God himself has enjoyed. He calls us into pastures that will bring us deeper satisfaction and meaning and life. Will you listen? Are you one of his sheep? Will you, will you hear the voice and respond? Beware of any false shepherd who might be calling out, but might be leading you to something other than Christ, the good shepherd. Beware of any false shepherd who might be even using Christ's name, but calling you out to a way other than the way of Christ, of self-sacrificial love and justice and peace. And as we Continue in worship this morning. I'm again reminded of Psalm 23, where we're told that the Lord, as our shepherd, prepares for us a table and that surely 
as we feast at the table with our shepherd, goodness will follow us all the days of our life. And so in a moment, I'll pray and, and we'll invite you to participate in communion with us, where the good shepherd has indeed prepared a table for us. Would you pray with me?